Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 111. Exciting time here at the Back of the Range. I've recorded four episodes in the last week. All four of these guests come from completely different backgrounds in the game of golf and have distinctly different careers. Spoke with a member of Golf Channel's team that covers college golf, a head coach of one of the hottest men's college golf teams, one of the best mid-amateurs in the country that has won both the Coleman at Seminole and the Crump Cup at Pine Valley. And if those three aren't enough, I just wrapped up an interview with a three-time participant in the PGA Championship that is not a member of the PGA Tour. So, lots of great episodes coming your way. My first big announcement of 2020 is that next week, I'm heading down to Mayakoba to spend some time at the Latin America Amateur Championship. Living in South Florida, it's a quick flight down to Cancun, actually Playa del Carmen to be more specific. I'll be checking out some of the participants that'll be vying for the title and that coveted invite to the 2020 Masters. So, I've never been to Mexico, never been to this tournament, so I'll be sharing some photos and videos, perhaps some interviews while I'm there, and I'll also be working on writing a story about a few of the participants there that I've actually played some golf with in the past. So, really excited about that. I'll share as much as I can with you while I'm down there. You want to know where I'm going to be sharing it? Yes, I'll be sharing it on social media. So, make sure that you're following on Instagram. The handle is the Back of the Range Podcast. We're on Facebook and Twitter as well. I know I say it all the time, but if you're looking for the links to all these places, best place to go is the website, thebackoftherange.com. That's also where you'll find every episode that I've ever done. If you need to get caught up, if you want to see who I've talked to in the past, best place to go. Go to the website, thebackoftherange.com. On to this week's episode. Our guest is the number one ranked collegiate player in the country standout senior from BYU, Peter Quest. I had a great time getting to know Peter. I know you will as well. Just a really down-to-earth guy that works really hard in his game and loves to compete. He will easily go down as one of the greatest players in the history of the BYU golf program that has produced players like Mike Weir, Daniel Summerhays, and Johnny Miller. He's an All-American that picked up three wins this past fall and is looking forward to closing out his incredible career before turning pro. So let's get started. Peter, welcome to the back of the range. How are you, sir? Ben, doing great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, you know, you are the first interview I have conducted post-President's Cup, so you are the beneficiary of having a whole lot of information to dissect and comment on about the President's Cup. Normally, oh, we perfect. don't. I know. Oh, oh per, I got the right guy. Perfect. So uh, before we talk about your incredible college career at BYU, what you're doing after graduation, and we'll probably hit on a couple other things um, with the time difference. Now, I'm actually just now recovering from sleep deprivation because here in the East Coast, I'm staying up to like one in the morning or two in the morning to watch the President's Cup in Australia. Did, <laughs> did you watch a lot of the President's Cup? No, I I didn't actually. I, I watched a little bit here and there, um, kind of just when they started teeing off and stuff like that. And then after that, I just looked in the morning because I, I either had to get up and 
wanted to go skiing the next day or I'd study for finals. So I was a little busy. Okay. So you have your priorities focused on what you're doing, but obviously you've seen some of the things that occurred and, and we'll see how far we go with this, this line of questioning. But I guess, you know, a lot is made out of Patrick Reed and a lot is made out of maybe like team chemistry suffering due to the distractions of what he was dealing with at the hero world challenge. Obviously this team succeeded in the light of, you know, media attention and controversy, but how important is it to have a solid team for you to oh, succeed at BYU? Talk to me a little bit about kind of the, your team dynamic, what it is that you do to maintain a solid team base for success out there at BYU. Yeah, I mean, having having a good team and a solid team is something you always want. I mean, you want to have six, seven guys who are always competing and, you know, have six, seven guys that could go out and win a golf tournament when you tee it up and, and that just brings a whole nother level of competition to it all. Um, and it gets guys fired up to try to beat one another. Um, and it just, it helps team chemistry because we're all rooting for each other to play well. And, you know, when one of the guys goes out and shoots a low round, you're rooting for him. And then the next day you try to go beat him. So it's, it's just a lot of fun. Not to put any one of your teammates under, uh, you know, not to throw a teammate under the bus here, but are there times where you have to kind of talk to a teammate, whether it's you being an upperclassman talking to a freshman saying, hey, that's that's not going to work here. Um, that's not going to work with our program. Or maybe you having a freshman moment back in the day, walking in and one of your seniors saying to you like, hey, you know, now you're in, now you're in college. This is a different thing than just playing on, you know, playing on your own or playing junior golf or even on a high school team. Maybe can you think of just an example of a time when you had to maybe pull someone in or someone had to pull you in and say, hey, that's here's how we do this here. No, I've, I've actually never really had to do that or experience that, um, which has been great. I mean, I've I've had I have respect for all my teammates. Yeah. Um, I had Cole Ponich reach out to me for help after season. And, you know, that was really cool. Um, and just help them that way. Um, I'm not a real vocal person. Okay. I'm not going to go around, you know, kind of telling people, you know, what to do or what they should do. Um, but I try to lead by example. Um, and hopefully people, you know, can follow. Clearly it's done well. You guys are the, I believe right around now, you're about the fourth or fifth ranked uh, team in the nation. And, you know, you're behind teams like Oklahoma and Texas Tech from, you know, universities at, at different areas in the country that have a lot, uh, probably a lot more warmer weather than you're having in, in Provo, Utah, for the most part. <laughs> Let's backtrack a little bit. I want to learn a little bit more. I want our listeners to learn a little bit more about how you got into the game. I know that golf is not the only sport you played. Um, you just mentioned skiing. We're going to, we're going to get back to that one. I'm, I'm curious how, <laughs> how coach Brockbank and everyone else uh, feels having their, their star senior hitting the slopes in the off season, but <laughs> we can edit that out for a fee. But how did you get into golf and, I always like identifying these paths with, with collegiate players, whether they only play golf, played other sports, they had you know country club upbringing, or they worked at a public course. Tell us a little bit about how you got into the game of golf. Yeah. So, I mean, I was probably, you know, seven or eight when I messed around at the driving range. Um, we'd go down to Palm Springs for um, rug doctor would have these corporate outings. And so uh, my mom worked for them. And so we'd go to Palm Springs and, I just go out to the driving range with my brother and I would just beat driver for three or four hours and then go hang out at the pool. Hey, there you um, go. <laughs> so, so that kind of started it. And then 
uh, I played baseball and soccer up till high school, but I kind of got more into golf in junior high. I was on the team there. And then eighth grade, I broke my elbow pitching and golf was the first sport I could go out and play after my surgery. So, uh, I played that for three months in the summer and then came back, played fall ball, baseball, and then kind of decided, you know, I like golf a lot. And then spring of my freshman year played on the team. And, and then from there it just kind of took off. Now, did you break your elbow pitching? Cause you were that kid that knew how to throw a curveball that just tore your elbow up. Or was this just like a freak accident? Cause that, that was actually me when I was in that 12 or 13 age range. I was, I was the kid that threw the curveball and then that was pretty much the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, I was, I was a late bloomer. So I, my, my, my body really wasn't developed yet. And, um, and when you go from little league to the big mound, you're trying to throw as hard as you can and, you know, probably didn't rest as much as I should in little league, but you're not really thinking about that. You're just going out throwing. You don't really care. Of course. (laughs) You're, you know, you're just trying to win games and have fun. Um, but yeah, definitely just, overthrew too much and yeah i did throw the curveball there you go but it, it, it was a fastball that broke my arm so okay. it wasn't the curveball <laughs> all right well that's fair fair enough um yeah. so, so did you so like l- other players i've talked to other amateurs you know they go through the ajga route and they're you know playing the circuit and it, it becomes a very serious thing um relatively quickly it sounds like that wasn't necessarily the case for you was it no, no, not at all. I I didn't play in an AJJ till it was I think February of my junior year. Oh wow! And I yeah, so I was I was late to it. I just played a bunch of like uh, JJNC or NCGA stuff up in NorCal. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I got I was pretty late to it. You know, playing one AJGA, played three that next summer, and then one, and then got into a couple invitationals. So it it wasn't like I've been playing it since I was twelve. Like some of the guys out there. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I, like I said, I, it's always interesting to identify the different paths. You know, I, I was actually just at the AJGA Tournament of Champions down here in Palm Beach Gardens, and I, I know a lot of juniors that uh, that play the circuit a lot. What was maybe your reaction when you get into that AJGA circuit, so to speak, or you start playing a couple of those events and you start recognizing players that this is what they've been doing for two, three, four, you know, maybe even five years? Do you feel like, okay, uh, they have a leg up or do you just kind of feel like, well, they're, they're just kind of a, they've gone a different way. I'm doing fine with the way I've gone. Or, you know, did you really give much thought to it? Uh, no, I was, I I didn't really give much thought to it. I mean, growing up for the most part, I was always a smaller kid. And so my dad always taught me that it doesn't matter who you go out and play and compete against, like their crap stinks too. There's no reason they can't lose. (laughs) And so just, I've always had that mindset. And so even going to those invitationals and AJJs, I was like, you know, why not me? I work, I work hard at my game and, you know, it doesn't really matter, matter to me who's in the tournament. I'm still going to try and go win. Yeah. And so I think, I think that was, that really helped me kind of focus on what I wanted to do and not get caught up in, you know, who's in the tournament and what they've done and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I know you're recruited by Nebraska, recruited by, uh, you know, CU Boulder. Um, you you ended up going to BYU. And, you know, a lot of questions I want to ask you. And, and one of the questions is, what is maybe the biggest misconception about BYU? Maybe what are some of the things that maybe friends or competitors from other teams 
will ask you or assume about BYU and playing there. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about the church and, and BYU and, and kind of what goes on. And, um, you know, they think, oh, you have to go out on a mission if you go to BYU. You have to be Mormon if you go to BYU. But, uh, you know, none of that's true. You don't have to be a member of the church. You don't have to go on a mission. Um, it's It's a great spot to go. I mean, there's a lot of people out here who really care about you and what you do. Um, if you're in the church or not in the church, they just want to see you succeed. Yeah. Um, and so it's been a really cool experience at BYU. When you were recruited to go to BYU, did you have those misconceptions? And then when you learned more about the university, how, how easy was it to make that transition to the, to the university? It was definitely pretty tough kind of making the transition and, and kind of getting used to everything. It's just, it's a different culture here. Uh, it's a little slower pace. There's not much of a social life. So you had to, you kind of had to make do with what you had and sure. um, find ways to stay busy and, and stuff like that. And so, um, but I had one of my best friends, uh, he's at BYU right now. And so growing up with him through high school, he kind of taught me about the church and what it's about. And so I was kind of used to, um, you know, their beliefs and, and kind of the rules at BYU. So you know, it was, it was an easier way to get acclimated to it. Sure. I want to ask you, like, okay, so your individual, you know, we're looking at your accomplishments at BYU. I, I sounds like you're an incredibly humble guy, but I, I hate to break it to you. You're probably going to go down as one of the best golfers in the history of BYU. And there, there are names like Mike Weir and, and Johnny Miller and, you know, Clay Ogden, and there are just you know, countless um, you know, there's a handful of summer haze that have been rolling in there, uh, you know, for the last you know, several years. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just, a, a, you know, the pedigree at BYU. You own right now that, you know, the best individual season scoring average in, in you know, last season, which was 69.79, which is just frankly, um, that's that's a little insane. But <laughs> I guess one of the things I want to talk to you about is you have, I think, 10 wins in your career there. You're a second team All-American how do you transition that, I guess, to individual amateur events? Because a lot of your success that I've seen is at collegiate events. I know you've played great at the Sahali the last couple of years, um, but on the national level, whether it be like a Son of Hannah or a U.S. amateur, what is the transition from what you're doing in college to doing it during the summer where it's really all about you and has nothing to do with the team environment? Yeah, that's the, that's the one thing I'm still trying to figure out a little bit. Okay. Um it's uh i mean i've always been like a team guy and a team player and so i've just grown up with the team aspect and trying to put something for the team and then um but yeah i've just been trying to just kind of manage my time better over summer tournaments because okay. you'll go on three four week stretches of just playing golf and traveling whereas in college you play you know two or three days and then you take a week or two off and then you go play another event um and so I've just learned to kind of manage my time a little bit better um, and rest and, and manage my game a little bit more. And I think that was, that's a big help in, in having, you know, success individually. Because this is, I'm, I'm assuming your, your goal after graduation is to turn professional. So this is something you're continuously working on because then you'll definitely really be out on your own when you turn professional. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But I'm excited for it. I want to get after it and, you know, just keep trying to learn more and more about the game. 
Well, your your winning it was funny. I I read a quote that that your coach Bruce Bachbank made a made a comment. He says, you know, it's something you have to kind of figure out on your own. And he was just kind of referring to winning. As I said, you know, you've won ten times in your college career. You know, Coach Brockbank has worked with over. You know, I think you're his twentieth All American. He's won the Utah State Amateur twice. And I'm curious, was there a moment when maybe, okay, this is the right mindset I need to have to, to win golf tournaments? Cause I'm just curious, was that always with you or was there maybe a pivotal moment in your college career where you said, Oh, okay, this works. This is how I need to kind of prepare to win. Yeah. I mean that, that kind of all went into kind of my preparation leading up to events and, and the whole mindset behind wanting to win um you're just you're you're not focused on anyone else or what anyone else is doing you're focused on your game and what you need to go out to do and you just trust that you're prepared and that you can hit any shot out there and you can go out and win and all you're trying to do is win you're not trying to you know finish top 10 i just i just want to win and that's the mindset i've had and um it's worked can you see other players, whether, you know, when you're competing in, in a, you know, in a final group or, or, you know, any sort of pairing that you're in when you're playing with competitors from other universities, can you see that they are not on that same page that you're on? And I don't mean like who hits it further and who has a better short game. I mean, when you're walking next to a guy and you're just reading body language, can you tell when a guy is just not really ready to win? Sometimes you can. Sometimes you can look into someone's eyes and you can kind of think to yourself, this guy might not have it. Right. Um, it's just, and it's, it's not being like disrespectful no, or anything. It's just I'm, like, it's something that you're, you're kind of like, all right, watch this. I'm going to, you know, kick your ass right. kind of thing. Um, and I mean, I've, my dad's instilled that in me, you know, in every sport I've played and, you know, transferring that to golf. Um, I think it's helped me have that competitive edge. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, as we said earlier, you've been, you've played other sports, you had other interests, you, you played baseball. I know you're into skiing now, um, or been in skiing for, for a while and you were playing golf. You're, you're casually playing, but at some point I'm sure you had to make a decision to really get serious about it. Can you tell me when, if it was there any moment that really kind of triggered in you, okay, this is, I need to take this seriously. I have something here. I need to work at it. It was probably the next day after my dad put the painting clothes on my bed. Uh, all right. So back, so back up because, all right. So explain to me <laughs> this story of, of coming home and seeing painting clothes on your bed. Cause that needs a little context. Explain yeah. That yeah. So it was, it was, I think it was summer of either my sophomore or my junior year. I think it was my sophomore year going into my junior year and um you know i'd played a bunch of like junior tournaments in norcal and stuff like that and i wasn't playing great and i was just kind of messing around hanging out with friends over summer going to the lake doing whatever sitting by the pool um and he's getting up at 4 30 every morning going to work and you know putting all this money into it and you know i was out at the course for one day played like nine holes came back and I get home and there's these painter pants and a Sherwin Williams shirt sitting on my bed. I was kind of confused by it. So I walk <laughs> out to the living room and he's sitting on the couch. I go, 
Hey, Dad, what's this? And he goes, well, you can make a choice. You can keep playing golf, and I'll pay for it, or you can come to work with me. And it was like from then on, it was, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, you know, putting in 12, 13-hour days out of the course. Um, so that that was, you know, the biggest influence on my life to to work hard at what I do and to realize that I had something that I could do. Um, and he would support me through it all. Sure. Well, I, sorry. And I've had, I had a very similar upbringing there where, you know, like I, you know, family members are, we worked on, worked on a farm. So you can't mm-hmm. be late. You can't, be, I mean, farmers, painters, anything like, you know, construction, you can't be lazy yeah. around. Yeah. You just can't, you know, laziness isn't going to work. So, but I got to ask, there's no way that you didn't at least at some point help your dad out on a painting job. What is the worst painting job he made you do um oh yeah there, there's this, yeah this is easy isn't it? <laughs> this is easy <laughs> this this would be uh this is actually probably two this is probably after let's hear sophomore year sophomore year sophomore college year college yeah oh in per- college yeah oh, perfect okay yeah and so he he needed help on a job and me and my brother we went and helped him and it was uh stripping wallpaper off walls Oh, I've done that. I've done that in the middle of summer and there's no AC in the room. It's 110 outside and it's probably 115 in the, you know, room that's cooking Mm -hmm. and you're spraying this solvent on the wallpaper and then you have to go up onto the ceiling and, you know, spray it off and then you got to peel it all off and the stuff just sticks to you and it sticks to your skin. And, you and if you the, let it dry. Yeah. You got the scraper, <laughs> right? You got the scraper and yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well you got, you got the scraper and then you're trying to scrape off these big long pieces and then, you know, peel off big pieces too. Yeah. And then, you know, that was just brutal because the pieces would get stuck to your skin. If you didn't wear like a sweatshirt or anything, and then you got to rip it off if it dries and that rips your hair out. And it was, it was brutal. And the smell of the solvent, it was just bad. All right. So that was that was probably the worst, you know, experience on the job I've had with him. So you're like a you you're one of the best collegiate golfers in the country, and I mean you you know victories and um, you know all these accolades and awards, and you're you're doing that in the summer, scraping it off, and that had to be just extra motivation of like, yep, not what I want to really be doing anymore. I'm gonna can't wait to get back and and hit balls and work on this even more. So if your if your handicap right now is about a scratch or a plus one or somewhere in that neighborhood, what's your handicap as far as working on a paint site? I mean, are you like a oh. are you like a twenty handicap? I mean, are are you even worth having around or like how bad is it? Um, no, I'm I'm pretty bad. I'm <laughs> I'm usually the guy that um, that gets the buckets out of the back of the truck okay. or the paint rollers and then goes scrapes off wallpaper i'm not the guy that's doing the painting or the sanding got it you're t- that's you're, not me at all you're, you're taking lunch orders what can i do got it okay yeah exactly perfect <laughs> um well i uh that's awesome because i think that's great i mean you're nationally ranked amateur and and collegiate player and gonna go down like i said one of the best players in byu history and and hey these are the things that you learn before you uh, go make it a living um, yeah definitely uh, uh, so I, I wanted to ask you also, um, elevation at <laughs> elevation in Provo is 4,500 feet. Your hometown mm-hmm. of Fresno is 300 feet. Obviously the national championship is what you guys are striving for. That's in 
Um, that's in Arizona this year. Last year's in Arkansas, but but this year's in Arizona. How do you adjust elevation? Because it's great to hit 400 yard drives, but that doesn't really help when you got to flight a wedge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's it's definitely been. It was, the first two years were year and a half were pretty difficult to figure out like wedges and stuff like that distances. Um, but it, it's been easier to kind of change and adjust to different elevations growing up at sea level, you know, and then, you know, playing all the courses on the coast, yeah, knowing how far the ball flies there. Um, and I mean, I've, with my irons, I've hit, you know, they've, I've had the same kind of yardages for, you know, since probably my junior, senior year. Um, and then coming up here and playing, uh, just kind of adjusting that. So I kind of have an idea of what elevation does what to the ball and how far it goes and how much to take off or to add. Um, and you know, what spin does to the wedges at certain elevations. And so it's, you try to figure out, sometimes you can figure it out. Sometimes you don't. Um, for me, it seems like it's more of a feel thing. Other guys are more just straight up numbers. Um, but it's, it's been difficult to figure out for sure. Well, I would imagine it just makes you a little bit more of a complete player where you're thinking a little bit more instead of just, okay, here's my number, here's my lie, where here's the wind and go. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, to backtrack just a little bit for earlier this year, you got to play the Palmer Cup. Uh, you were the, um, you know, there are six automatics to that team. You were the top ranked uh, collegiate player on the men's side, got an automatic pick. I know there's a lot of guys on that team that, uh, there were previous guests here on the podcast, whether it be, uh, well, I don't know if you're John Augustine's doppelganger or he is yours, but um, <laughs> I'm sure you have heard that you two look alike. And then, of course, you play together in the same on this. You know, you played together as, as partners in the Palmer Cup. Has has that ever occurred, by the way? I'm just grasping at straws here. But has that ever occurred when people get you and Augustine confused? No, I've I've actually never heard anyone like compare us saying we look similar. But now that you say that, I do I do see that. Okay. <laughs> so you mentioned you like the team event. Maybe just if you can briefly, what are maybe some of the things, or what's one thing that maybe people would be surprised to hear as far as what the team environment's like? Because I know it's U.S. and international, but a lot of the international players go to school in the United States. So what are some of the off the course things that you guys got to be able to do at the Palmer Cup? I mean, we got to hang out with some of the international kids too. You know, we got to know them. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you, you want to win, you want to beat them on the course, but once you leave the course, you're friendly, you're cordial, you're, you know, trying to make connections and stuff like that. And so that was, that was the coolest part of it. Cause I thought it was going to be a little hostile, maybe in the hotel rooms or stuff like that <laughs> amongst the teams. But no, I mean, it was pretty cool. It was, it was a cool experience. What's the, maybe the one country you learned about from one of the international players that you're like, yeah, I got to go check that place out. Uh, I don't know. I, when I played, uh, Matthias in the, in the final match, yeah. uh, you know, he's from Germany. And so, uh, my grandparents are from Germany. And so we just got talking about that. And so I told him, I'm, I want to go over there one day and, He's like, yeah, just let me know when you're over there, and hopefully I'm there too, and I'll show you around. And so that was that was pretty cool. Oh, I just I just got to make a trip over there sometime. Have you uh, have you been overseas at all? No, I haven't. I've actually never left left the country. Okay. No reason to. 
Greatest place on earth. <laughs> okay. Um, well, you know, there's there's Ryder Cups and Presidents Cups and all sorts of things that are outside the United States. I mean, I I agree with you. I'm a big fan. Uh, but, but I'm just yeah. saying there there is a whole other world out there. There's a lot of oh, you know, yeah. And and Sweden, Norway, lots of skiing. Lots yeah. of skiing there. Yeah, and I, I need to take a ski trip. I need to go, you know, Canada or you know, go overseas and and uh, you know, take a ski trip or something. That'd be sweet. So if you had to pick a vacation, I'm assuming where you're going out of the country, um, is it a ski trip or is it a golf trip? Ski trip, for okay, sure. So, all right. So when did so so how serious is this ski uh this this addiction to skiing like is it pretty full blown or is it just a casual thing or are you just really into skiing kind of a little bit of everything okay i mean i started i started skiing when i was probably three or four. Oh, okay uh, and so i've just done that my whole life and so that's kind of been my off season is you know i'd go you know ski you know from end of november through january february and then golf starts back up and so it's just it's been good and and i love it i love getting out on the slopes and you're just free and you know it's just a lot of fun okay so let me go back to the 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 reference to your handicap uh, in in, on on a painting site so what's your handicap on the slopes (laughs) i don't know i'm probably i'm not i'm probably right around scratch i'd say okay Uh, maybe a plus one or two there you go. I mean, I, I can handle myself on, you know, the black diamond slopes. Oh God. All right. Well, just, <laughs> just, yeah. Well, enjoy that. I, uh, yeah, that, that makes me nervous. Cause uh, I went skiing a couple of years ago and I was like, I do not belong up here. That was my, I was like real nice up here. It's real pretty, but I am just one moment away from just breaking a leg. So um, I think a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are are amateurs they're always trying to improve their game i always like to kind of grab something from my guest and see if they can impart a little bit of advice or tips that's helped them how do you maintain mental focus when things maybe aren't going well you know you're coming off of a three putt or you're you know you start off bogey bogey um, mm-hmm. if you can remember going bogey bogey at some point, I'm just kidding, but, but, <laughs> but how do you do that? Cause I know it, when things are great, every, everything's fine. Like, like, you know, I'm, I'm making putts and yeah. I'm hitting the ball in the fairway and it's, it's no stress and that's great. But what do you do when things are not going well? I really try to focus on my breathing, um, taking beat, big, deep rhythmic breaths. Um, and I'm an exercise and science exercise and wellness major. So I've been able to learn about, um, oxygen intake and how it affects the brain and all that. Okay. And you know, when you get under tense situations, you tend to take shallower breaths and that tends to tighten up muscles and tense everything up and you're unable to perform to the level you want to perform. And it, it limits the amount of oxygen going to your brain. So you can't think as much. You're thinking too much when you're able to take, big deep breaths and kind of just focus on that you're able to clear your mind of you know all those you know bad negative thoughts and you know refocus to what you want to do and it kind of clears up the picture of everything um through doing that um and a lot of that comes with like meditation or just reading or you know doing different types of like focus activities um you know visualization all that stuff but for me it's just been you know, after a bad hole, when I can refocus my breathing and kind of get back into the rhythm of things, um, then I can put it behind me and move on. 
That sounds like pretty good, uh, pretty good advice. You know, you mentioned you're majoring in exercise and wellness. Um, I have to ask, and I, I don't know why I have this information, but I do. But please explain to listeners what cougar tails are. Oh, cougar tails are like big maple bars. Okay, what's a maple just, bar? <laughs> a maple bar is just a donut, and then you got whatever maple frosting or whatever it is you know on top of it sure it's just like one of those like kind of hot dog bun donuts maple frosting it's like i can't remember how long it is it's probably like two and a half three feet long okay they're all right i i've had like a bite of one they're okay okay because apparently they're <laughs> like the number one selling specialty concession around all collegiate sports like that's the number one thing that is apparently in the country yeah, I mean, you, you go to a basketball game, a football game, you know, you see kids just walking around with two or three of them in their hands, just like trying to get back to the seats. Okay. Like, oh, man. All right. I just was curious if you're aware of, uh, of, of those because I've, I've seen they look pretty uh, they look pretty dangerous. Um, yeah. All right. So I want to get you out of here on, on kind of one last question. Um, you know, you, you've mentioned, I think, in, in previous interviews, you said that just the whole college experience at BYU, you know, it's something that you're never going to be able to go back to. The PGA Tour isn't going to go anywhere. So I don't know when you gave that quote or when you said that, but has anything changed with your mindset now that you're coming to the end of your career at, at, at BYU, about to turn pro? Kind of what are your thoughts on maybe – you know, the youth movement, so to speak, on the PGA Tour, whether it's Wolf and Hovland and Morikawa and, and, you know, guys like that. What are you most looking forward to? What are your, maybe your thoughts going into it? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm real excited to, to try to get out there and, and try to win. Um, you know, I don't want to just get my card for the next year if I'm able to get out there and have starts like those guys. I want to go out and I want to win. Um and, you know, that's, it'll just be really exciting to, you know, travel around and see everyone and, you know, play with guys you, what you watch on TV. Um, and, you know, that's just, that'd be a dream come true. And so I'm just, I'm real excited, you know, for the next chapter of my life. And, um, you know, hopefully it all goes well. If you're able to do half of what you did uh, or what you've done at BYU when you turn pro, I think it'll be just fine. Um as I said, you know, you, you're 10th, uh, you're 10 victories. Uh, you're heading over to the national championship. You're heading towards the national championship, obviously, at, uh, at Greyhawk. Uh, Peter, I wish you the best. Thanks for joining me here at the back of the range and uh, enjoy the holidays. Thank you. Thank you, too. And thank you for this uh, incredible opportunity. It's real cool. And there you have it. Special thanks to Peter Quest from BYU for joining us this week. All the best to him and BYU's team as they push forward this spring towards the national championship don't forget i am heading down to mayakoba the latin america amateur championship next week so make sure you're following on facebook twitter and instagram you'll get all the latest photos and videos while i'm down there don't worry i'll post an episode before i get on a plane so we'll see you again next week for another episode here at the back of the range